Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Because our God is holy, we come before Him to uh, confess our sins to Him. We come before Him to confess our sins to Him, and we come to His Word to do so. God's Word always convicts us, exposes our hearts, shows us where we are falling short of His glory. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, this morning, this morning the sermon theme is on giving. And so I thought I'd begin that theme early on in the service from Malachi 3. Hear God's Word. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Thus far the reading of God's word. The average American, the statistics tell us, give 3 to 5% of their income to charity each year. And we also don't balk much at coughing up 20% or more of our paycheck to taxes. I think our expectations and our priorities are all out of proportion. When Israel asked for a king, Samuel warned them that a king would take 10% of their income. Think of it. A human government daring to ask for as much as God does. Amazing, shocking, to take as much as 10% in taxes. That was Samuel's warning to Israel. Our expectations are all out of proportion. Malachi, in typical prophet fashion, tells us strikingly what we are doing. We are robbing God. He doesn't change, so we aren't consumed in our long rebellion against him. Not yet. But we need to return to him. And this is one way to do it. It's interesting, in the whole Bible, I think this is the only place where God invites his people to test him. He says, test me in this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse and see if I don't bless you. It's a very fascinating invitation to test God. I think he's answering the objection that arises within us. Well, if I give away 10%, I don't know if I'll make it on the rest. And God answers that and promises to bless us and to provide for us. He'll take away the drought. He'll take away the fires, the plague, whatever it is. God is very adept in his providence to put us into situations that force us to trust him and to trust in nothing else. And the tithe is one way I think he does that. 
So we'll be looking more at, at giving in the sermon, so stay tuned. Uh, we may need conviction in this area, some of us, and this call to confession is meant to provide that. But maybe you need information or encouragement from the Word of God in this area. And I mean to give that in the message, too. The messages on giving shouldn't just be guilt trips and manipulation. They shouldn't be any of that. So uh, let us look to the Word of God, though, for how we are to live and serve Him. And let us confess our sins before Him. Please kneel if you're able, and we will pray. Uh, I'll lead us in a prayer of confession. sermon text from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We saw the tithe established in the book of Numbers. We saw in Romans 8 that God has given first and given most. Now we turn to 2 Corinthians 8, where we find Paul writing to the Corinthians about their giving. often thought that when we uh, preach sermons on giving that we're doing so out of uh, need that we have ourselves. And while that may be partly true, we're really preaching what the Bible says, and that is the goal uh, this morning. So let's uh, hear God's word from 2 Corinthians 8, the first 15 verses. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for these uh, words of life that we have read. You have uh, given us such a great privilege, revealing yourself to us in word. Uh, words that we can reference, go back to, words that we can trust, 
uh, for they are pure and right, they are without error. They faithfully reflect what you want us to know about yourself, about your son Jesus, about what he has done to save us, about how we are to live accordingly. And so, Lord, this morning we look at one aspect of that and pray that you would give us uh, hearts that are loyal to you, uh, give us a willingness to hear, and help us uh, to be changed into more, greater and greater Christ-likeness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know what's gotten into me, but last week I preached my first sermon ever on the state of the church, which is a bit of an, uh, a dicey kind of thing. And now this week I'm preaching my very first sermon ever on giving. And that's also a dicey thing, you know. So we're going to dive right in this morning. I also forgot to put in the bulletin a sermon outline or theme. So here it comes. There's four points, and the theme gives each of those four. The theme here is that we give to the provider out of gratitude for his grace. That's, that's the first point. We give to the provider out of gratitude for his grace. And then the last three points, we give proportionately, we give personally, and we give cheerfully. And I'm uh, hoping to show that uh, this text from 2 Corinthians 8 uh, gives us each of those points. Again, I'm seeking here to preach the Bible, not simply to preach what I want to preach to get the most as far as giving goes. That's not what we should do. Uh, now, uh, giving, one reason that the, this topic of stewardship and uh, giving and, and offerings and tithes, one reason this is a dicey topic, as I say, is that in my view, it's like the Sabbath. There are uh, varying, there are differing convictions and assumptions based on Scripture uh, about giving and about the Sabbath. They're kind of the same. Some people just assume that, of course, the Sabbath is still a thing. And others assume that, of course, the Sabbath is no longer a duty that we have. And both find those convictions in Scripture. Some people, in the same vein, some people assume, of course, you can go out to eat on a Sunday. It's not, it, the Sabbath doesn't prevent that. Others assume, of course, you wouldn't go out to eat on a Sunday. <laughs> there are wildly differing uh, con uh, convictions on that kind of issue. It's the same with giving. Some say, well, of course, the tithe was an Old Testament thing. We don't worry about that anymore. And others, well, of course, this is still a duty for any Christian. Uh, my, my, of course, my assumption is that the tithe is still uh, a duty for the believer. Uh, here at Christ Church, we tend to say that the Old Testament, any practice or pattern we find there is, is still in force if the New Testament doesn't in some way uh, re uh, reverse it or uh, give us different instructions. The obvious one is the, the sacrifices, right? right? Hebrews tells us the sacrifice has ceased because Jesus is the final sacrifice. So we don't continue to offer sacrifice. And we use that same kind of principle. Is there something in the New Testament that overturns the tithe? And we would say no. So let's consider each of these four points. First, we give to the provider out of gratitude for his grace. That's the main gospel point this morning. God is the first giver. God makes the whole world. It's a generous act to give us life. The first thing God does is give us life. And he, then he, right away, he gives Adam and Eve a world to take care of for him. A remarkable act of generosity and giving on God's part. Uh, Psalm 50 has that uh, verse that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns everything. 
He owns everything. So there's the creation first, that idea that in creation, God is the giver. But then in Romans 8, we also see God gives us all things. He's given us his son, hasn't spared that. How will he not give us all things? Uh, so uh, in our text, we see that in verses um, eight and, uh, 9 and 10. Well, just 9, I suppose. Uh, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. There you see Paul, interestingly, put the gospel into financial terms. Jesus was rich in heaven while we were poor and miserable. And, and the, the great exchange takes place. Jesus becomes poor so that we can become rich. So uh, it's out of gratitude for that uh, that we give. And that's what Paul is doing there in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. He's pointing to Christ as an example to say, look how Christ gave, as he encourages the Corinthians to give also. So that's the first point. We give to the provider, the, very, the first giver, out of gratitude. And we'll come back to that. I could mention here, but I'll save it for later. Uh, other ways that we give. We give for other reasons than gratitude, and we have to watch out for that. We'll come to that in another point, probably when we get to cheerfully. But first, uh, so that's point one. We give to the provider out of gratitude. Second, we give proportionately, proportionately. And here's where we get the idea of the tithe. And we saw that in Numbers uh, 18. Tithe is just an old English word for tenth. Uh, so it's, a, it's kind of a church word. I remember we were uh, visiting a, an old old, old English uh, Church of England church once, and someone who didn't know about the church was talking about what all the rules were when you came to church back in the 1600s, and they were mispronouncing the word tithe. I think they said a tithy or something, some weird way of saying it, and they're like, yeah, they don't know that church word, do they? It was really uh, rather amusing, but people don't know the church word for tithe. All we have to know is tenth. It's, it's a tenth. Uh, so we are called to give God a tenth of everything. Back in Israel's day, when they had flocks and herds, every tenth one that they counted, that one went to the Lord. Every one in every ten. That was the idea. The first use we see of this in Scripture is in Genesis 14, where Abraham goes and rescues Lot. He goes on that military expedition, and he comes back, and two kings greet him. The king of Sodom greets him, and he says, give me what's mine. He's kind of greedy and grabby. And then the king Melchizedek also comes and greets him and blesses Abraham. And Abraham, in response, gives Melchizedek a tithe, a tenth of what he recovered. That's the first example we see of the tithe in Scripture. Jacob later also promises to give God a tenth of, of what he has if God will be with him. Uh, so that's the idea of the tithe early on in Scripture. Then we saw it in Numbers 18, of course. It's also in Leviticus 27. There also in the Law of Moses, it's instituted. don't have time to go to all these places today. In Nehemiah, in Nehemiah when Israel returns from exile, it's also uh, brought into play. It's one of the reforms that Nehemiah insisted upon as they reformed their life before God together, collecting tithes again. Yeah, so Nehemiah was careful uh, to do that. So the tithe is, is proportionate. It's a, it's a percentage. So if you're making a million dollars, then you're, paying you're, you're giving 100000 If you're making 10000 you're giving 1000 The idea is that it's, it should be affordable based on how much you're making. That's the idea. It's proportionate. Uh, I didn't know where else to throw this in, so I'll just mention this. We often have a question, 
well, we have this weird tax system in our country where, where you withhold taxes. So are we supposed to pay on, on the net pay or on the gross pay, right? And what's proportionate there? What's, what's, what's right and fair? We often wonder about that. And there's an argument both ways on that. The, the, those who see the gross, you know, we should tithe on the gross pay, they would say, well, God gets his cut before the government does. So we should pay on the gross amount, right? But the other side, they, they say, well, we should tithe on the net amount that we get because the idea is to tithe on the increase, to, to tithe on what God has actually given to us. Uh, and uh, there may be an argument there, although uh, when you tithe on the net, then when you get the tax refund or other gifts, you need to tithe on those things too. That's, that's the catch there. But anyway, uh, there, there's arguments both ways there. I think Jesus keeps us um, in, in proper perspective at this point. He, um, in Matthew 23, he, um, in, in rebuking the, the scribes and Pharisees, he says this. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You get a tithe of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. I find that a fascinating verse because everybody uses it to say the opposite of what Jesus just said. Everybody uses that to say, see, don't worry about tithing. But that's not what Jesus just said. He said, you should have done the, the more minor things, but not have neglected the more major things. Right? Tithing down to the details is something we should do but not to the neglect of more important things. There are, so something we tend to forget, if, if we're advocates for the tithe, is that the tithe on the very details down to the pennies is a smaller thing than doing justice and mercy in, in the world. Well, anyway, I put that in there because the tithe needs to be proportionate. We don't want to be... Uh, disproportionately focused on tithing down to the last penny, we have some major sin in our lives somewhere else. That's not going to make up for a major unconfessed sin elsewhere. So the tithe needs to be proportionate. And I had a couple of more uh, sub-points here on the proportionate tithe, the purpose of the tithe and the place of the tithe. So let's mention those next. Uh, First, the purpose of the tithe. There are really three purposes that we see in the Old Testament for the tithe. Uh, first, uh, we see in Deuteronomy 26, and again, I don't have time to take us to the very verses, but you can uh, jot them down and reference this later. The first two uh, purposes of the tithe are in Deuteronomy 26. First, the tithe goes to the Levites. Uh, the Levites are teaching, they're leading worship, they're caring for the temple. And they were forbidden to have an inheritance. Uh, because uh, they were dependent on the tithe. And that was the idea, that they could give themselves full time then uh, to worship, to the temple service, uh, to teaching the word of God. So that's the first place the tithe goes. Second, the tithe also goes to uh, the widows and the orphans and the poor. And I think the idea was that the Levites were uh, distributing that, administering uh, that part as well back in ancient Israel. Uh, So those are the first two uh, purposes of the tithe. And the third is in Deuteronomy 12. There we see Israel bringing the tithe as well uh, to rejoice before the Lord. A small part of the tithe, it seems, was used to feast in God's presence. That's Deuteronomy 12. You'll find that there. Uh, And I think there's biblical justification there for the church uh, having in its budget 
uh, paying for fellowship together, uh, our monthly meals, other events that we do together. That's a biblical pattern uh, from uh, ancient Israel where you would take your tithe to the temple and you would rejoice together before the Lord. That's the idea. So three purposes there, uh, to support the Levites, uh, to give in charity to those who were in uh, destitute poverty, widows and orphans and the poor, and to rejoice before the Lord together as God's people. Those are the three purposes of the tithe. And then the place of the proportionate tithe. This is also a a controversial topic. Uh, God's design was that the Levites, I think, would take care of all the charity. So the full tithe would go to them. Uh, Now for us, uh, this would mean giving a full 10% of your tithe to the church where you uh, go to church. Uh, Again, the the pattern is that the Levite is the the pastor, the teacher today. Here's the, the catch. Today we have many charities outside of the supervision of churches. Uh, and some of us take a, a dimmer view of this than others. Uh, we may only want to give to ministries that are submitting to a church. Right? That's an a emphasis of our denomination especially. I respect that view, but I don't know that we can say the Bible requires it. Uh, if Love, Inc. or World Vision is caring for the poor better than we could as a local church, I think it's okay to say that you give a small part of your tithe to them. But the lion's share should go to where you are fed by worship and fellowship together. So that's the the place of the proportionate tithe. So we see that again. This is all flowing out of Deuteronomy 26 and 12, where the tithe is called to go and what it's for. Well, back to 2 Corinthians 8, Paul speaking to the Corinthians. He speaks of also giving a tithe personally. And that's the next, uh, the third point this morning. We give uh, to God, the provider, who's the first giver. We do that out of gratitude. That's point one. We give proportionately. That's point two. We give personally. And that's point three here. And Paul uh, is speaking in a very specific context uh, of how uh, he has called the Corinthians to give. Verse five, he says, uh, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So he's focused there on the fact that they they gave themselves to the Lord and then uh, to give to uh, the saints in Jerusalem. But we see there another point that that Jesus, uh, that Paul says, they gave themselves. There's two different emphases we can put there. Uh, They gave themselves, and that's something that we need to recall. As Christians, that's what happens when we convert to belief in the Lord. When we come to faith in Christ, we give ourselves to God. That's what we're doing. And finances is a natural part of that, just as it's a natural part of our life. I've always appreciated Calvin, John Calvin's personal motto. It was up as the logo emblazoned all over Calvin College when I attended there. The motto was this, My heart I offer to you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. That's the general idea here. That's how we are to give. We give God our heart first. Uh, and right away, and, and sincerely, and all of our heart. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Those two are going to converge. So if your treasure is, is in pursuing God, if your heart is in pursuing God, your treasure will follow. And this is just a natural principle of life. Your spending will show over time what you're giving yourself to, what you're giving your heart to. 
And as Christians, we're called to give ourselves to God. So it's personal in that dimension. Our giving flows out of our desires, what we believe, where we want to see change and growth. We give personally in that way. So because of that, I would urge you, and this may be the strongest point for many of us here today, I think it seems to me that many of us are believers in the tithe and seek to practice it. So this may be the, the challenging point for most of us. I would say this. Avoid a, a simple, strict calculation, and that's the end of it. Avoid that. Because Paul here, to the Corinthians, calls us uh, to give personally. Consider how Jesus teaches the Old Testament in our gospel text. Uh, You've heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, don't even hate your brother in your heart. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, don't lust in your heart. I think in that same kind of vein, Jesus would also say something like this. You've heard it said, give 10% of your income to the Lord. But I say to you, use every penny you have as if it were God's. Because it is. You see the pattern there? Jesus isn't overturning the tithe. He's, He's deepening the application of the teaching. Avoid just a simple calculation, just move the decimal and you're done, right? There's more to it than that. Let your goal be to see God's world flourish, not just to pile up wealth for yourself and and give what you have to. Give personally, give from your heart. Now, I think this does apply, too, in different circumstances. So let me talk about some extremes a minute. If you're making five times as much as you need to live on, and you stop giving at 10% and build bigger barns for yourself, you are probably being unfaithful in stewardship. But if you're making half what you need to live on, and you give 10%, then you probably are being unfaithful to provide for your house in the short term. You likely should not tithe right now, right now because that would mean depriving your household of basic necessities. And if that really bothers you, uh, keep track of what you should have given that you can't and make it up later when you're able to again. Um, Now, these are extremes on both ends, right? And God God does put us in an unequal world like that. People like Bill Gates out there and then people who are on the street with no money at all. We live in a very unequal world. Bernie wants to revolt against that in our political candidacies. He wants to play Robin Hood with the government evening things out. But Paul, in Corinthians here, he saw income inequality as he wrote to Corinth. From what we know about the history, Corinth was quite well off, especially compared to poor Macedonia. And that's what he writes there in verse 2 of our text. And Paul is not afraid to compare the two. Right? He calls for Corinth to give more. Notice comparing isn't always wrong. This fascinates me. Uh, you know, comparing is wrong when it leads us to envy. Right? When, we, when it leads us to say, God, you're not being fair. Then, then comparing is wrong. But comparing, Paul is comparing here, and he compares, and that leads to the reality that I can and I should be giving more. Look how much they're giving, more than me, and I know they've got less than me. Hmm, 
interested. And that, that can be a pride, a spur to us. And Paul isn't afraid to use that and to say that. The, the Corinthians were really good at comparing and boasting. We speak in tongues more than others. We have better preachers than other people. We have more spiritual gifts, and so on. And so Paul latches onto that. And he says, well, are you giving more than others then? So this, this is not Paul being manipulative. It's not a manipulation. It's a, gen, it's a sincere exhortation. It's just something that we should be doing. Manipulation is based on lies and deceit and calling for something that you shouldn't be calling for. That's not what Paul's doing here. Paul is uh, sp- speaking truth and calling for a, a basic obligation that's truly there. So there's this income inequality uh, that we talk about today that Paul saw as well in his world. And we are fascinated by wealth. Right? I saw the, the ad on Facebook a week or two ago with a map of the United States, and, and each state was marked out and had the richest person in that state with how much they were worth. That's fascinating to us. Everybody wants to click on that and see. So, and, it, and I fell for it, too. Who's the richest man in Michigan? Dan Gilbert, worth over $7 billion. So I did a little bit of research. He owns the Cleveland Cavaliers NBA team. He's working to revitalize downtown Detroit. Uh, apparently there's a, a pledge out there started by Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, and they call on those who are very rich to take this pledge to seek to give away half of their wealth. And Dan Gilbert's one of those who has signed that pledge. So we're fascinated by that kind of lifestyle, those kinds of stories. But the other extreme is more common. Folks living paycheck to paycheck, spending more than they earn, uh, running up credit card debt. And uh, Dave Ramsey does his best work with those kinds of people. Uh, And uh, that's the other extreme. Most of us are somewhere in the middle. And what we're called to do, I believe, is to start with giving 10% right away And then once we've covered our expenses and our savings, we compare what's left with what places we could give more. Uh, Take into account your condition. Uh, Should should we give more or less based on our financial condition? And take into account the opportunities that you have. Where is there a need? Where are you hearing about uh, needs uh, that charities or churches have uh, for funds? In all of this, my my favorite uh, quote or teaching on this is from C.S. Lewis. I think it was in Mere Christianity, he talks about this. So here's C.S. Lewis on giving. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. That's C.S. Lewis. I thought that was very good. And that's what Paul means, I think, back in verse 3 of our text when he says, They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. So we give in in a personal way that way. We we look at our own condition, what we can give, and we think, well, I'm doing this, and I don't really have to do that. I could give that money uh, there instead. 
These are all personal choices, uh, deeply personal, uh, things on which preachers in the pulpit shouldn't say, thou shalt give this amount or that percentage, and so on. But the general rule, I believe, does remain the tithe from the Old Testament scriptures. So we give out of gratitude, we give proportionately, we give personally, and the last point, a bit shorter here, we give cheerfully or generously. And here in the text, Paul notes this of the Macedonians in verse 2. They're extremely poor, and yet, and they're afflicted, verse 2, in a severe test of affliction. But then he mentions their abundance of joy. Their joy and their poverty uh, overflowed into generosity. Fascinating. Their joy and their poverty together uh, combined into uh, generous giving. If you look into the next uh, chapter, uh, chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, you see the famous verse in verse 7. Each one must give as he has made up his mind. That's the personal point from before. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we need to decide uh, on our own how much we believe we ought to give. That's the personal point. And then when you have decided that, give it cheerfully. You may have heard before the Greek word there is, is hilarion, from which we get the word hilarity. Give hilariously. You've decided how much to give cheerful, oh, to the point of joyous hilarity of, of giving. It's the kind of joy, I think, that we often have on Christmas morning when grandparents or parents are sitting in the sofas watching their children at their feet, seeing the joy and the happiness. And there's just an overwhelming joy in the giver's heart at that. We're giving cheerfully in that way. Or, or think of the father welcoming the prodigal son home and what he says, right? Bring the ring, bring the, the robe, bring the sandals, kill the fatted calf. He's giving there. Uh, out of a, uh, a joy that's deep uh, and, and far-flung. So we give generously. We don't want to give, uh, the other opposite of that is giving out of a grudge, uh, begrudging duty, right? Uh, this is the way uh, many people give sometimes. It's guilty giving. I, I, I give because I feel like I have to, right? I, we, sometimes we give uh, to get the givee to go away, you know, to satisfy them. Won't you give five dollars, ten dollars, twenty dollars? What, what, what? You know, the the guy on the phone, whatever it is. Uh, sometimes we, in our lower moments, we find ourselves doing that around Christmas time or birthday time for relatives too, right? You get you buy those presents just because you have to, and you wish the day was past and gone. Sometimes in our lower moments, we're like that. As with other things that we do for God, it's perfectly possible for a person. Uh, to obey the letter of the law, while inside we're really disobeying. We don't want to do it. We, we do the duty, but inside, our, in our heart, we don't want to. And God is not pleased with that. Uh, it's possible for a person to give 20% of their income begrudgingly, and the next person gives 5% willingly. And God favors the heart more than the amount. I would say even more than the percentage based on the situation. Well, it seems in our text that the Corinthians had promised to give, but they were reluctant to follow through. We see that in verse 6, where Paul's solution is to send Titus. Right? I urge Titus, as, as he had started, he would complete this act of grace among you. And he picks that up again in verse 10. 
He says, a year ago, you, you began, you promised, you started, you said you wanted to, but I haven't seen anything yet. So Paul, that's one reason Paul is writing this Second Corinthians, this letter a second time, to say, you promised to give, and they're still needing it. Where is it? And so Paul, again, this, on, the, on the surface, this looks manipulative to us, but it is not. It's simply Paul in a pastoral way saying, you promised to do this. You ought to do it. Are you going to follow through? And Paul facilitates the follow through by sending Titus, saying, let me help you. Let me help you with this. Are you actually doing what you said that you needed to do? That's something important for us to hear. Well, let me uh, close briefly with the Christ-like example. We need to give cheerfully and think of Jesus giving. Right? Jesus gives himself. He comes to earth. He gives himself even to the point of death on the cross. How did Jesus do that? What was his mindset coming to us? Did Jesus come down to earth reluctantly, begrudging what he had to do? I guess my father said I need to do this. I suppose it's the right thing to do. I, I, I guess I'll go do it. I can't imagine Jesus in that mindset. But so often that tends to be our own. That's an area of conviction for each of us, I believe. But people of God, we give to the provider out of gratitude for his grace. We give proportionately, personally, and cheerfully, as God's word calls us to do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this word. We thank you for uh, the practical uh, points in your word where you call us uh, in relation to others, to those who are in need, to be givers, to be generous givers, uh, to examine ourselves and see what we can do and where and how. We thank you for giving us the example of Christ in his giving. Thank you for being a generous uh, uh, God who has uh, had such mercy upon us, where we are slow to listen and to learn, uh, where we are stubborn in our sins. Uh, you have come to us, uh, taught us, uh, exposed that sin, uh, paid for it at the cross, uh, shown us how we can live in, in light of the gospel. All of this we give thanks to you and praise you for Jesus Christ, the ever-living Word. Our communion exhortation, we turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, where David is uh, dedicating the temple and the offerings that are brought there. David prays in this way. David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own, 
have we given to you? When we sit at the Lord's table, we should remember these basics. All things have come from God. We give him only what he gave us first. It's the same with any righteousness that we have or do. We have God's favor because he gave us Jesus. So we have bread and wine here on the table to show us that. We have a tithe to give to God because he gave us a job and the ability to work and so on. And so we have the offering on the table here too. The temple worshiper in the Old Testament would recognize this pattern. He put his grain and wine tithe on the altar along with the sacrifices for his sin. And Jesus has fulfilled the sin sacrifice as shown in this bread and wine. So the sacrifice has stopped. But we continue to labor for the Lord and bring tithes. So at this point, we have the results of Christ's labor shown on the table. Table fellowship with God, bread and wine. And we have the results of our labor on the table. Gifts showing our heart dedication to God. We remember, of course, that we are justified only by Christ's work, not by ours. But there is a real union with Christ here of labor and life that we can enjoy. Perhaps as a child does schoolwork and chores, and then at the end of the day eats a meal that mom and dad provided. It's not that the schoolwork and the chores were needed to, for that meal to come together. It's done by grace, but we do what we are called to do. So let's receive Christ and rest on him alone for our salvation today. We invite you to come to the Lord's table this morning, all those who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. As we eat together, we acknowledge that we are sinners, that we are saved by God's uh, grace in Christ alone. Come with your children to the Lord's table and welcome. The body of Christ broken for you. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.